Good morning. Hey, will you thank Graham and the worship team again? Thank you. And I'm actually going to add a prayer to Graham's prayer because if you were here a few weeks ago, I was talking about dumb injuries. And I don't know if you, if you were here, you heard me talk about chewing a chocolate chip cookie. And in the dumbest injury of all of the history of humanity, this crumb, like, catapulted into my eye and I was down for, I don't know, two hours. So I topped it this morning. And uh, so this is why I'm asking for prayer. And this might be too much information. I was using this spray deodorant. Okay. Don't judge. Okay. We all have to get ready in the morning. I was using this spray deodorant and somehow I missed and it shot into my eye. And so with those credentials, I'm going to proclaim the word of the most high God to you this morning, and I will take all the prayers I can get. So can we pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we uh, right now ask that you will open our eyes to where your spirit is illuminating your word to point us to your son for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of you here in person and joining us online, thank you for being with us this morning. If you've not been here the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of um, whether it's spray on deodorant or at the heart level, getting ready for church. And the idea behind that is that when you dig around in Jesus' interactions with people in the Gospels, whether it's with an individual or with crowds of people or with his disciples, you see something. There are some things that he says to people that you read it and you think, I want to put that on my wall. And I want that front and center. And I want to remember that every single day. I want to memorize it. Some people call it a life verse. And then there are some other things that he said that didn't quite fit that category. And, and perhaps they didn't really feel good for the person they were being said to or the people they were being said to. Or maybe as you and I read them, they don't really feel good. But that's because Jesus was simultaneously doing two things. One, he was having a very present encounter with whoever he was with at the time. But as we know from Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was also operating with something down the road in mind. And that was the church, a time when not just Jesus in his own human body, but people across the world would be a global body of Jesus. And so he was looking ahead to that time and saying, look, there are some things that I've got to deal with so that you can be ready for when church comes about. And the church would be the presence of God here on earth. And so, as we've looked at that, this, this theme has, has arisen through all this. And it's just this, that every single one of us could look in the mirror and, and realize that there is something in me that could actually get in the way of we. And every single one of us could say there is something in each of us that could get in the way of what Jesus wants to do through all of us. And so we're looking at some of those things. In fact, a few weeks ago, we began talking about this idea that it's just a, it's a very natural thing. You and I get up in the morning and we've got a kingdom in mind and it's not often God's kingdom. The kingdom you and I have in mind in the morning is usually our kingdom. Right, Me and myself and, and I. And we work, we work hard and we fight fiercely to protect our kingdoms, to build up our kingdoms. And so that first week of this series, we talked about the Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes are an invitation from Jesus to be emptied of our kingdoms. To be filled with a much better one. A much more sustainable one. A much more life-giving one. His kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
In week two, David Perez, he reminded us that Jesus also invites us to come to him and to do things his way, to take his yoke upon us, to go about his way of life. And in doing so, it will become less of an experience of striving and being drained as much as being just rested and filled and operating from that place. And then finally last week, we talked about the idea of where our dependence actually lies. Jesus had come down off the mountain with a few of his disciples, came to the other nine disciples who uh, a boy's father had brought the boy to the, the other disciples. And he said, he has, he has a spirit that I need you to drive out of him. And they couldn't do it. And as we walked through that account, we recognized that it's so easy. It is so easy for us to move our dependence off of Jesus, off of what he did at the cross onto ourselves. And this is what had happened to the disciples. Mark 3 and Mark 6, they'd been given all authority from Jesus. Mark 9, it's not working. We landed at this idea because Jesus highlighted this to them. That they'd become powerless. And to become powerless is the disease of the prayerless. Is where we landed last week. And so we left off last week with this idea. So what does prayer look like? I mean, if I could sum up the last three weeks, if I could bundle the last three weeks, which have been very internally focused, if I could bundle all those into a starting action for all of us when it comes to getting ready for church, it would be that one word, prayer. Prayer. And this morning, as we sit in Matthew chapter 6, and we look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, I hope that this one overarching idea would become so clear to us. That prayer must become first priority instead of last resort. Because isn't it too easy to do that? In fact, let me read to you something by a man named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen says this, Don't we use the word prayer mostly when we feel that our human limits are reached? Isn't it used to indicate powerlessness rather than a creative contact with the source of all life? Prayer is often considered a weakness, a support system, which is used only when we can no longer help ourselves. But this is only true when the God of our prayers is created in our own image and adopted to our own needs and concerns. This morning, as we sit in Matthew chapter 6, three reasons, three which I believe are very compelling reasons for us to come back to prayer as first priority. I mean, I know that's not how we're used to it. Oftentimes, we just get going, and then we say, God, just, just, Let me tack you on to what I'm doing. Just bless what I'm up to. I've already made the decision. You just come along with me. But when you read what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6, I believe he is saying there is a far deeper, much more rich, much more life-giving way to engage prayer. Let's let's start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus already highlights something that he knows sits in the depths of every single human heart. Read verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me jump ahead just a few verses. I want to see if you notice this word that keeps coming up. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Did you catch that word that keeps coming up there? 
reward. Reward. See, deep down, you know what Jesus knows, you and I, at, at the deepest of levels, what we really want? A reward. A reward. This is why you bought certain cereals as a kid, right? I mean, I remember as a kid, mom, mom said, what, what uh, cereal do you want to have? And Raisin Bran happened to be offering uh, these baseball cards. And Andre Dawson was my favorite player. And I just went, I will go through as many boxes of Raisin Bran as it takes to get an Andre Dawson card. Do you hear the problem there? It was Raisin Bran. Yeah, it was a rough couple weeks and I never got an Andre Dawson card out of it, right? But we want a reward. We want a reward and he knows that. Seven times in the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, the word reward is mentioned. I mean, isn't it true? We're all after some kind of a reward and, you know, you can phrase it as love languages. You can phrase it as wiring, as desires, but we all are oriented toward different kinds of rewards. Some of us want stuff. Maybe you want power. I read an article the other day about our appetite and our desire to be envied. We want to be affirmed. We want to be respected. So we all have different ways, and and that sitting is a motive for doing what we do. And Jesus says it can even creep in to the stuff you associate with God. And he, he references three specific things here. He talks about giving. He talks about fasting. And he talks about prayer. Jesus is getting at something that we can bring a very self-centered approach to things that are supposed to be very God-centered things. And that's what people were doing as he was saying this. He looked around and he realized that for them, there was something that they wanted. There was a reward they wanted. They were very showy about their giving. They were very showy in their prayers. They were very showy in their fasting. Now, I don't know as I look around today that I see that being a blatant thing. I mean, I remember wondering it when I was younger. Remember Thanksgiving dinner? There was maybe that family member that prayed for the meal and they just kept going and they just kept going. And I finally realized the reward is we're either going to have a prayer for the meal or warm food, but we're not going to get both. And so my sister and I would start fidgeting and we'd get yelled at and get in trouble and we were all grateful for one another, but we were also grounded and, and it's just how it went. But they had gotten very showy because that was the reward they were after. Now, if I were to come to today and think about us, I'm not sure that that's exactly where we start out. We definitely have showy as something that we want in some form, in some way. But I, I think for us, it's more something else. It's we don't just want showy. We, we want to do it all. And so we want to be able to check the box of prayer. We want to check the box of giving, um, fasting. It is, uh, that's a tough one. I got to be honest, but you know, we want to be able to check all these boxes and say, God, I want to, I want to read. I want to engage your word. I want to engage with you in prayer, but I want to, I want to get to everything else too. And we tend to hurry our way through everything. We rush to the reward of every single thing on our radar, don't we? I mean, it's constant. There was a, uh, a man named Dallas Willard who said this. He said, ruthlessly, ruthlessly work to eliminate hurry from your life. And yet there's another quote that I've heard. It's been attributed to Mark Twain, although I've heard like 90% of Mark Twain quotes weren't really Mark Twain, but is that we wear our busyness like a badge of honor. Don't we? I mean, isn't that our culture? We're in a hurry. 
to do everything, even the God-centered things, because we want to get on with what we want to get on with. Now, I bring all that up because it it took me forever to see this movement in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is so rich. I mean, you could write a sermon on every verse or two. But there's this very interesting movement from the start, the first half of Matthew chapter 6, to the last half of it. And, and I just hadn't connected this. But listen to, listen to where Matthew chapter 6, the last half, gets focused. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So now he's working toward material things. But he keeps going. Handful of verses later, verse 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So we've moved from material things to food to clothing. Keeps going, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Finally, a few verses later, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, do you notice the language in these verses that he's talking about? He, he's throwing out some actions that honestly, you and I, if we were to hear those actions, we'd think, well, that's a good thing. That's because it means productive. It means accomplishing a lot. It means getting a lot done. Go back. Storing up. He gets to the birds and he references, they do not sow or reap or store away. He gets to the flowers and he says, they do not labor or spin. He gets to the pagans and he says, they run after. See, these are all verbs that we would look at them and we'd think, those aren't bad things, but the context of what Jesus is talking about these verbs in, what's he bringing up? Worry. Worry. See, isn't our running after and isn't a lot of our laboring and spinning and storing away, isn't it tied to worry? How interesting. Matthew chapter 6, we hurry through the God-centered things and we worry about our self-centered things. See, there's, there's a truth here. When I hurry through prayer, I worry through life. You want to know the first reason prayer has got to be a first priority and not a last resort? Because when you hurry through prayer, you worry through life. How interesting. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with the college basketball coach, John Wooden. He coached at UCLA, and his, his success as a college basketball coach is just unparalleled. And he coached many, many players that went on to become NBA Hall of, Fam- <clears throat> excuse me, Hall of Famers. But what's so interesting to me is as I read, um, I, as I read about John Wooden's life, the, the author of this book was talking about every single year, didn't matter who he was coaching, didn't matter if the player had been with him for four years or first year, didn't matter if they'd won the national championship the year before. John Wooden started in one single place. He started the first practice of every single season with how to put on your basketball socks. How to put on your socks. Now, why would he do that? 
Well, he went into it in this, in this uh, interview years ago with somebody. He said, here's what I've noticed. Guys get so caught up in their performance that they hurry through the process of putting on their socks. And so once in a while, there's a little pebble in there. And if you've tried to go on a hike with a pebble in your shoe, you know it does not take a large pebble to affect everything. And not just that day, but in the days ahead. He said some guys, they would put it on and it would get bunched up and that could create a blister. It would get turned sideways. That would create a blister because they're going up and down the court hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And so John Wooden, he said, don't, don't hurry through the socks because it will affect so much big picture. When I hurry through prayer, I worry through life. That's reason number one. Prayer has to be a priority. But then I want, I want to come back to a verse that, that we just read that Jesus said that actually comes up twice in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 32 says this. The pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And that's actually a, a repetition of something he said earlier in the chapter when he specifically referenced prayer. Look at verse 7 and 8. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You want to know the second reason prayer has got to become a priority? Because prayer isn't where God discovers our needs. Prayer is where we discover he already knows. And isn't it true that when, you, when you're going through something, when you're facing something, Sometimes it doesn't even matter who it is. When you can, you can just find somebody to talk to and let them know what's going on. Isn't it true? There's just something that happens inside that you just go, ah, okay. Somebody knows. Maybe my favorite account of this, this was years ago. Lincoln, our youngest, he was, uh, I think he was three or four at the time. And Lincoln came in, it was like two or three in the morning. And I'm one of those that if you wake me up at three in the morning, my mind is just going. And it's hard for me to get back to sleep. Well, Lincoln comes in, it is midwinter. He comes into our room, comes to the bedside. And he says, and have you ever had somebody whisper at you, but they might as well be shouting at you? It was this, And at first I thought I was dreaming it. And then I get this in my face blast of air. Dad! And, you know, heart is just pounding. I was like, what? What's going on, buddy? And he's like, the snowflakes are waking me up. <laughs> I went, they're not rocks. Like, is it hailing outside? No, the snowflakes are waking me up. Sorry about that. Um. And I sat there and I went, I don't know what I would possibly do about this. And then it dawned on me, I know exactly what Jesus was getting at here. Because I finally turned over and I said, does mommy know? (laughs) Now, uh, you probably shouldn't do that with your sleeping spouse, okay? Um, But you can do that with your heavenly father. You can go to your heavenly father and you can pour it all out to him. And you want to know the assurance? It's not that it's a first time discovery for him. It's that he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I know, I know. And I see it and I know about it. And there is something that just happens where you go, okay, all right. If I know that he knows, 
then, I, then it's, a, it's another step towards some peace. Finally, there's a third reason that comes up in Matthew chapter 6 for why prayer has to be our first priority, especially if we want to get ready for church and to be the church. But the only way we really arrive at this reason, I think, is just to walk through a prayer. And so together, I want us to walk through this prayer, and it's a prayer that many of you have prayed, many of you have memorized. You've heard it. I remember the first time I was in a room, I did not have it memorized. I was younger, and suddenly the whole room's reciting it, and it was just terrifying because I went, what, what did I miss? What, what paper did I not get handed when we walked in here? But it's the Lord's Prayer. And it's the way that Jesus says to pray. And it is not just a script. I mean, it's a great script. If, if you're sitting there and, and you are wanting to engage in prayer and you just don't know what to say, this is a great place to start. But Jesus, Jesus words it a specific way in verse 9 of Matthew 6. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> this then is how you should pray. See, this isn't just what you should pray. This is how you should pray. It's almost as if these words cultivate a posture within us as we go before our Heavenly Father. And so I just want to walk through this because there is something that just starts jumping out and jumping out, if you ask me, as a great reason for why prayer must be a priority. But let's walk through it. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Now, don't hurry past that word hallowed. It's holy. Don't hurry past holy. Do we understand who we're going before? I mean, a lot of times it's easy to picture, you know, whatever, whatever picture we last saw of Jesus and freeze that in our minds. And sure, maybe there's that. It's easy to think, well, he's sitting in the chair right next to me, and there's that. But this is the holy God of the universe that we engage when we go before him in prayer. Do we get that? I mean, there are people on this earth who have had a level of success that you and I may never, ever touch. And because of their success, they are completely inaccessible. They've got bodyguards. They've got security teams. They've got people on the lookout. And yet the, the one who has done all that and more, who set all of it in motion, who created the universe and everything in it, invites us to come into his presence and call him Father. See, he's holy, which means he's so set apart, but he's Father, which means he's right there. And I don't know about you, but when I sit with that, all those worries of life, they start to get a little bit smaller. And who he is begins to get a whole lot bigger. Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Remember a few weeks ago? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? This is kind of what we pray. But usually we pray, remember God, you and I figured this out and we see it the same way. So protect against all who are attacking my kingdom because my kingdom is a perfect mirror image of your kingdom. And so just protect me from all those other ones out there. That's what we do. We fight to protect and build up our own kingdoms. Now I want you to notice what hasn't shown up yet in this prayer. Us. 
us. We haven't shown up yet. And I just got to be honest, many, 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 many times in prayer, you know who I start with? Me. And as I listen to so many people, that's where so many of us start. And yet Jesus would say, listen, if we can understand who it is we've gone before, and if we can understand whose kingdom it is about, if we can understand that it's a kingdom that has already been established up there to give us eyes to see how it's being established here, then we're in a proper place to come to us. And so he says, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Do you notice it was our daily bread, not days of bread? Because I know a lot of times that's what I've prayed for in my life. And we've seen that in Exodus. God would literally give the people daily bread, manna in the desert. And what did he say? Don't store up. Don't store up. It will rot. It will go bad. You know what he, you know what he was getting at? Is dependence. I just want you to depend on me. Daily, daily, daily. Give us today our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, notice the word tense here. Give us present tense or forgive us our debts, present tense, as we have past tense, forgiven our debtors. It's as though Jesus is saying, listen, when you come to him in prayer, and you ask for his forgiveness, be cognizant, be aware of where there's a situation that might require your forgiveness. Come to him with that in mind. And then he moves into one other thing, verse 14 and 15, uh, sorry, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I've always thought that was interesting. Lead us not into temptation. I thought, you know, That's a good part of it because we can find it all by ourselves, can't we? We don't need to be led to it. But lead us not into temptation. And I believe part of what he's getting at here is an Aragorn moment from Lord of the Rings. When when Aragorn, he's talking to the hobbits and they've just been pursued by this enemy. And Aragorn says to them, are you scared? And the hobbits said, yeah, we're scared. He said, not scared enough because I know what hunts you. And I can't help thinking that Jesus was saying this. It's on the heels of Matthew 4 when he's in the desert and has an encounter with the enemy, with Satan himself. And Jesus, having seen how the enemy operates, he says, so pray. Pray to be delivered from evil. And then the prayer ends. But so interestingly, Jesus comes back to one piece of the prayer in verse 14 and 15. He says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, obviously the cross had not taken place yet. And yet that reminder of forgiveness, I believe, was a picture for you and I to remind us of a reward we were given that goes far beyond what any interaction each day could give us, what any storing up of wealth could give us, what anything on this earth could give us. And it's the gospel news of Jesus Christ. That what we received at the cross, the forgiveness there is the reward. Reason number three, prayer has got to be a priority is because 
prayer is where we're reminded that the Lord is our reward. See, I know we want the reward of success in this life and we want the reward of things going smoothly or maybe we want the reward of all the lists we mentioned earlier or respect or stuff or power or you know, whatever it is. And yet this is a reminder that what God gave you at the cross was himself. Prayer is where we're reminded that the Lord is our reward. And when you get that right, when we understand that those are the reasons for making prayer a priority, then things begin to shift. Because we no longer hurry through prayer. Because we know it leads to worry through life. And we we understand that the Lord is truly our reward. And that he knows our needs. When we get there, you know what happens? You stop looking for a reward. Because what reward can this earth give you that's greater than him? What he gave us himself. And when you get to that place, then suddenly Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34, become a real and living thing in our lives. Both individually and the church. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. That's why prayer has to become first priority instead of a last resort. There's a, um, there's a picture I want to put up for you guys. This is a picture of, um, that was a vacation we took uh, in 2010. Um, and that's Lainey and I, our oldest. She was three at the time. By the way, she's the one on the right, just in case you were um, trying to figure that out here. <laughs> but that was us just walking um, along the beach in Hawaii. And I have just grown, like, still tear up when I look at the, at the picture. And so one Christmas, uh, this is a few years later, uh, my wife, Kara, and the kids got me this gift. They had this thing printed on a canvas that went up on our living room wall. And so it was um, sitting there with a bunch of other pictures, family pictures, and I'd come home, and I would just beam at this thing. I mean, it's just like, it was a sweet, tender moment and and so incredible to look back at. And so I think it was probably up on our wall in the living room for maybe a year, year and a half, came home one day and it's no longer on the wall. And I went, what's going on? Like that, that was, that was just part of my normal routine to come home and look at that. So find out it's, it's in Lainey's room and Lainey had it up on her wall and I went, okay, I can that's, that's a sweet thing. I can, I can live with that. Okay, a couple years go by. Lainey becomes a teenager. I walk down, I knock on the door one day, walk into her room, I look around. This picture is nowhere to be found. I mean, there are pictures of her with our dog up there. There are pictures of her next to a plant at the zoo up there. There are pictures of the plant at, uh, at the zoo up there. But nowhere to be found is this picture of Lainey with her dad. I was like, where's the picture? Where'd you put it? She pulls back this curtain that's like covering her closet. It's in the closet, down on the floor behind some shoes and and like a, uh, just a pile of clothing and a bunch of stuff. I was like, you know what? We'll talk about this later. I'm going to go see a counselor anyway. So um, (laughs) not too long ago, she said, dad, I got to show you something in my room. Went down there still in her closet, but hanging up right where you could see it. I'm like, oh, what's that? She's like, ah, it's just a reminder that as I start each day, 
when I pick out my outfit, just reminded that my dad loves me. And I started crying even more. But I suddenly went, that's what Jesus is getting at. When you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your heavenly father who is unseen. And you know what happens? You no longer worry through life. You don't worry. And you remember that he already knows what you need. And as you even begin your day, you remember the Lord is your reward. And there is nothing you can encounter or come up against today that can be any greater than the reward we got when he gave us himself at the cross and made us right with our heavenly father. That's why prayer has to become first priority. And if we'll do that, I dare say, that's the action that informs all the other actions of getting ready for church, which we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks. So as the worship team comes up to close us, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Matthew chapter 6. Thank you that you gave us a prayer to pray in the presence of a holy father. I'm blown away how at the beginning of your word in Genesis, you are holy. And at the end of your word in Revelation, you are holy. And Matthew chapter six is like this, just this reminder that shows up that you are holy in all the details as well. Right smack dab in the middle of your word, you are holy. And so Lord, would you remind us of that? When we come before you, Lord, would you stir our hearts that prayer would not get the leftovers and the fumes, but it would get first priority in our lives. I pray that you would give us a heart to just slow down and take our time as we come to prayer so as not to hurry through it. I pray that you would deeply remind us that you already know our needs, and that's not a reason not to pray. It's a reason to pray and be even more assured of it. And Lord, continue to bring us back to the cross as we pray as you remind us that you, the Lord, are our reward. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.